Hi, welcome to Leadership with Randy. I'm Randy Powell. But I would rather be uncomfortable fighting for what I love and creating a life that I love than experiencing that discomfort to get it. Our guest today is Jenna Dillon, founder and CEO of Executive Performance Institute for Coaching. Jenna capitalized on the focus, discipline, grit, and resilience of a lifelong career in dance and channeled that into coaching and developing leaders. Her journey of following her passion and finding what she loves and was meant to do can inspire each of us to look inside and seek out our purpose for our work. Now let's go learn more from Jenna. Well, good morning, everyone. Great to uh, see you all again and been looking forward for some time to uh, to spending time with Jenna Dellen, who I met several months ago, and we've had some great conversations. She's joined in with us and contributed in a lot of ways over the last few months, and now it's awesome for us to to get to grill Jenna and ask her some hard questions about coaching and leadership, which she has spent a lot of time on and has some, uh, I know just from our conversation, some great insights, but I want to go back because you got a really interesting entrepreneurial journey that starts with arts and dance. And I just think that's fascinating. The discipline and the self-discipline that you learned in that and how you translate that to entrepreneurship and leadership and some of the things maybe that you explored in your own journey. Why don't you tell everybody a little bit about where you started out, you know, leaving Kansas city, going to Chicago, I believe, wasn't it? And then, uh, and then working your way to California. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that journey? Sure. Thank you. Good memory. And thank you uh, so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be on here as a, as a guest. Um, I'm, I've really enjoyed being on here the last few months. Uh, watching all the speakers. Um, So I will start off by first giving a preface that um, in high school, my favorite class by far um, was actually sociology too. And I went to my high school counselor and I remember saying, okay, this is my favorite class. Um, What can I study in college? And she looked at me and said, well, do you want to be a therapist or a social worker? And my naive, ignorant self at the time got really scared at that thought because I just thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to have people who are like in asylums with their lives in my hands. (laughs) Like I can't possibly do that respectfully to the people who do do that. Uh, And so I just said, nope. And I instead uh, pursued two very different things that both interested me. Um, I was a dancer since I was four years old. So I went to school for both dance and then business management. And uh, I, during school, because I didn't study psychology or sociology, or at least choose that degree, um, I decided to keep that in my sphere, keep that alive for my own interest. And I signed up for all of these e-newsletters to be sent to my email at the time, my hotmail email in college uh, that I could read as my Sunday paper instead. And um, I didn't realize that I would be so inspired by what I read and what I learned from those articles that during my dance career, which was my first career, I ended up Right, uh, I ended up choreographing both in school and in my career outside of school. Um, all of my choreography works were around those articles that I read and the things that I read. I was inspired to create a movement through what I was learning uh, from those and so and messages from it. So um, during and 
just out of pure interest, did not even think that it would apply later on. Um, but then when my body started to hurt and I thought, okay, like I was told by my physical therapist and chiropractor that I, uh, if I kept doing what I was doing at the rate, I was doing it as a dancer with the amount of physical activity and like stress in my body that I would be looking at a hip replacement or two by the time I was 30. Um, so I left the stage and went and pursued business management. And so that's when I thought, well, where do I want to stay in Chicago? And, and to preface, I guess I didn't mention this. I, I went to Chicago to study both dance and business management and had my dance career there. Um, and so then I decided to move to Los Angeles uh, for several reasons, really, because I knew like I don't have any big commitments. I don't have kids. I didn't have a husband. Uh, and I also wanted some perspective. I had grown up in Kansas City, lived in Chicago for seven years. Um, and part of me was just itching for a different lifestyle just for perspective to see what um what I, what would really make me happy. Not that I wasn't happy in the Midwest, but just wanted to see what else was out there. And Los Angeles had plenty of opportunity, um, that I believed I could explore. And it also had a dance scene that I didn't desire to be a part of. <laughs> and so I was like, well, let's do a little bit of reverse psychology and be around a dance scene. I don't desire to be a part of, to make it easier to live dance to leave dance. <clears throat> so I, I moved out here to Los Angeles where I am now. And, um, I, you know, I'm, I would like to consider myself very type a in the sense that I usually have a plan and I have my ducks in a row. Um, and to be totally honest, when I moved to Los Angeles, it was probably the scariest thing I had ever done in my life because I didn't really have a plan. <laughs> Like I knew that I wanted to study or pursue business management. I knew I wanted to be my own boss because I had been in my dance career, um, but I didn't know what that would look like. And so um, I kept dance around a little bit in the sense that I was an adjunct faculty member at Occidental College. I choreographed one of their musicals at one point, um, but, but I was really getting into meeting several people who um, would, several adults who were starting to talk to me about their professional endeavors, their careers, or the things that they were experiencing in their work and um, their struggles that came with that. And so I, I remember telling a few people, I said, well, let me buy you a cup of coffee. I have some thoughts on like what I could, you know, suggest to you or, or recommend to you. And you can take it with a grain of salt. And those few people said, you know, Jenna, this is really valuable. You should consider charging for this and having a practice. And I didn't really know what I was doing, to be totally honest, but I was a part of a mastermind group that um, a few of my friends and I had created here in LA. And um, at the time I was telling them, you know, what I was putting together and kind of in this very start of, and somebody in that mastermind group had said, Jenna, you should hire a coach for yourself to help put this practice together. And I remember thinking, what's that? <laughs> and within a week, I kid you not, I went to an event where the speaker was an executive coach 
And I, my jaw hit the floor because I had never heard of an executive coach before. And I had just heard of one. And within a week, this person's on the stage. So I reached out to this person and I said, you know, you don't know me, but I saw you speak uh, last weekend on this stage. And uh, I wanted to know if you know a regular coach because I'm not an executive, you know, so I'm not your clientele, but I would love to buy you a cup of coffee, pick your brain and figure out how I can meet a regular coach. And even by saying that he knew, I knew nothing about what he did <laughs> and I didn't. Uh, but, but now like knowing executive coaches don't just coach executives. Uh, I, I connected with him. He had a coaching firm. And at that time he introduced me to one of his coaches on his team, uh, who I, within one I had a conversation with her and I hired her right away. And probably within three sessions, I want to say it was very early on. It struck me. I was, I was waiting for the shoe to drop around what I was learning about executive coaching. I was like, this can't be it. This is like too good. Like what's the catch here about how good this type of work is. Um, and it was so similar to the conversations I was having already with, uh, some of my like first starting up clients. Um, and, and so I said, you know, to my coach, like, where can I learn how to do this coaching thing? Like I love formal training. What, books can I read? Like what programs can I sign up for? And at that time, um, I ended up, uh, the, the coach, I should say, ended up sharing with the firm that I was interested in doing this work. And they invited me into their apprenticeship program, which at that time was by invitation only. Now, now I believe it's application. Um, and, I remember I was the youngest person in my cohort. <laughs> I think there were five or six of us. And I, not in a way to put myself down, but I was kind of like the outsider or the ugly duckling in a sense where like most of these people um, had had a career of like 20 some years in finance or they had their MBA in business and then went on to do X, Y, and Z. And I was here going, well, I'm like a couple of years out of having a dance career, figuring out like what I want to do with this business management, you know, studies that I did years ago in school. And, and I, and I couldn't afford the program either. Um, I, and everyone else could write a check for it. And so, um, I, I was in a place where I had to figure out how to pay for the program, the apprenticeship program, which was like college tuition money, um, to give you uh, and an insight to what the investment was and time investment too. It was as though you were going to grad school. And um, I thought, well, um, I don't like asking people for money. I'm very independent. I don't want to go into more student loans and credit card debt. And so the only way I decided to pay for, the only way I could think of to pay for that apprenticeship program was to tell everybody I knew um, I'm starting a executive coaching practice and I'm starting this apprenticeship program with a executive coaching firm. And I am looking to pay for this program through building my practice right now at low rates because I am in training. And um, that that's what I did. <laughs> and I was very, uh, 
I was very determined. I had to figure out a way to, I set up a payment plan with the firm that we agreed to. And um, I think because of the situation that I was in, in that I, I couldn't just write a check out for the program in full, um, I think that actually behooved me and um, allowed me to be more successful um, than I think I would have been otherwise. So fast forward, I finished the apprenticeship program and um, I, I had been, the, the CEO had told me, we had like a presentation at the end of our apprenticeship program and we shared, you know, what kind of clients we were working with, what their results were, the successes were, et cetera and um, what our experience was in that program. And the CEO, after I gave my presentation said, you know, Jenna, you've uh, been our highest performing apprentice that we've ever seen. And I, and I was like blown away by that. I didn't realize that. Um, and he said, I wanna thank you for that. <clears throat> and they invited me into the firm after that. I was with the firm for a few years, I believe. and. And then uh, I started growing my practice um, faster than I think they anticipated I would, um, and and faster than I anticipated that I would. I was um, my rates were increasing, and I started um, wanting to be. I was very determined. I'm a very determined person, <laughs> and so I wanted to be um, in the spaces that I saw other coaches in the firm who were a level above me. Um, I wanted those kinds of opportunities. And so I was really eager to work more with the company clients and being more in that, um, I'll just say stratosphere. <clears throat> and so I had reached out to and talked to the CEO and I said, what do I need to do to prove to you that I can have those opportunities? And because I, I want I want to do that. And and he said, well, you know, he told me like very specific results that I would need to accomplish. And I said, okay. And so I went and I, and I <laughs> looked at how I could do that. And, and at that point, like no one had, I don't think anyone had even posed that to him. So the kinds of things that I was doing, nobody in the firm was doing, uh, like, um, like I was putting my own workshops together and filling the room. I was, Half of my practice was with group coaching, um, and that wasn't really the case with anybody else. So I was doing these different results because I wanted to grow quickly to be able to have these opportunities. And so then when I reached those goals or reached those metrics, I came back to that CEO and I said, okay, like, can I have some of these opportunities now? And he called me entitled uh, and arrogant. And so I was like, oh, okay. Uh, and that was the start of several things, unfortunately, that um, I saw start to happen where I felt like I was being given glass ceilings and caps. And so uh, I ended up leaving the firm um, and went out on my own. I, I gave up some of my coaching clients uh, to do that and kind of rebuilt my practice again. And while I was um, building my practice again and networking, I love networking, I love people, <laughs> I'm very extroverted. Uh, I was meeting people who were, in my opinion, brilliant at what they did um, and very synergistic to executive coaching. Um, so like I met a wonderful change management consultant. I met a couple of uh, business consultants, for example. 
and, uh, and I even met a keynote speech coach, uh, people who um, I learned in the corporate sector that when those people in those lines of work um, kind of come up against each other, they start to see each other as competition, um, but these people didn't. They saw each other as very complementary um, of each other and had this more abundant mindset than scarcity mindset where we could work better together and help the clients more. And I loved that. <clears throat> and uh, I'll actually give you another caveat um, and go back a little bit. Uh, during my schooling, both in dance and business management, I was given some formal training in pedagogy and andragogy. And if you don't know what that is, um, that's the study of or the art of, as I like to say, teaching. So um, I thought that everyone that had gone to school for any of those things also got that formal training. I assumed that uh, because I had, and uh, little did I know that that's not necessarily the case. And so um, the reason why I bring that up is because both during my apprenticeship program and even when I also left the firm, um, I was, realizing like areas and gaps in the training that I got that could have uh, been taught or that could have been reordered and taught differently to be um, digested a little bit easier and integrated a little bit more effectively. Um, just my, my teacher brain was on, if you will. And so when I, so fast forward, when I was meeting these different uh, individuals and networking that were similar but complementary lines of work that what I was doing, I thought, you know what, like if I put all of us together on a team, we not only would serve our clients really well, but they all had um, skills on being able to be trainers in the training room, not just in their areas of expertise where they skilled in, but they could be wonderful trainers or keynote speakers uh, or facilitators. And they could teach people how to do those things, how to be a facilitator, how to be a speaker, et cetera. And I thought, oh my gosh, like if I put all of us together, um, we not only would serve our clients really well, but um, I could put a training program together to certify executive coaches with all of our brains uh, combined. And, and so with my skills in pedagogy, andragogy, building curriculum, et cetera, um, that was what I did. Um, and also there were also a couple other coaches as well, um, executive coaches. So I uh, launched my firm, Executive Performance Institute for Coaching. The acronym is EPIC. Uh, I launched that firm in March of 2020. <laughs> and then two weeks into it, the pandemic hit. <laughs> and so what we, uh, what we do, uh, like most coaching firms, is we work with individuals, we work with organizations, and then we also have a whole pillar um, in our business model where we have a school where we certify executive coaches. Um, so that's where I'm at and that's where, how I got to where I got. Well, that's an awesome journey. And there's a whole bunch of things that come to mind as you walk through it. One of them is, and this is a common conversation I've had with folks over the years. So much of our identity can get burned into a role, a career, an activity. So it, it, leaving 
our baseball career, our football career, a particular job we've held a long time, or even a military career. And that became our whole purpose. And when it ends, we can flounder around a bit and you kind of make it like, I mean, like 98% of your life was dance <laughs> at some point in time there. And then you turn it off and then you turn on this other thing. I'm assuming there's this floundering about period where you're trying to figure out what was your purpose. When did you know you'd really figured it out? Here's my new identity and my best days aren't behind me. Yeah. Um, so uh, to be totally honest, I had this very um, spiritual moment. Um, I don't know what all of you believe in, but I believe in God. And, um, when I was in my, the first few, um, sessions with that first coach, there was a moment where it just felt like an energy shot, like a lightning shot of energy. There we go. A lightning shot of energy hit me. And it was like, all of a sudden I realized that this thing that this, coach and this firm was calling executive coaching encompassed all of these interests and passions that I had had even since I was a kid. Uh, And so whether it was an interest in people, uh, my dad and I would bond when I was a child by watching people and like thinking about what we noticed and what we saw. And so these areas of uh, being interested in people and psychology and sociology, and it was creative. I saw ways that I could be creative with it. And um, which led into my like dance background and how I learned how to be a teacher in a lot of ways I could integrate into this field. So I just started realizing like when this I said, uh, what did I say? I call it a like lightning shot of energy hit me. It just really felt like God was telling me like, this is it. You didn't know this was even around, but this is it like this in every fiber of my being. I I knew I meant to do this. I just got to figure out how to get formal training for it, but this is it. Um, and, and I'd never been so sure of something before in my life, even though I say dance was my first love, I didn't have the same, uh, feeling that I did about coaching in that moment that I ever had about dance. Um, yeah. So that's, wow. That's that's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I wasn't expected. (laughs) (laughs) Drew has a great point here about your fiscal responsibility of getting to your goal. Where did that come from? How did you learn that and weave that into your journey? Um, how did I learn about the, yeah. When you were talking about how you're, you're the uh, drew, maybe, maybe ask your question. Cause what I was kind of picking up was you were very disciplined about how you were going to take on debt and things. What what do you think, Drew? (laughs) Yeah, that, Jenna, and it was really a comment. It wasn't a question, but, you know, um, in the, your innate ability to recognize there's a return of investment and how are you going to pay bills and all this, I, I just found that incredibly refreshing. And I shouldn't say that that you just don't hear that that often anymore. Um, what you hear about is let's erase everybody's student debt. Um, but the truth of the matter is you can't do that. You, you got to have a return of investment if you're going to do uh, a specific career, uh, you have to figure out what debt you can take on to sort of take on that burden. And I, I just applaud you for that. And I don't know if that was just something that you in, innately learned from your family. Uh, I'm not sure where that came from, but I, I, 
add to that, um, you said, you know, you sensed in one of your jobs, this glass ceiling. Um, and it's a disappointing, it's disappointing to hear that, but that's a reality that I think we all face that, Hey, if the, if I don't have an opportunity for growth, I'm going somewhere else to find it. And, uh, so I'm curious where you gain that. Cause that's not an education. That's a, that's something you just grew up doing. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Well, I learned, I would say some, some of the discipline that I learned around just finances um, were partially from my parents. Um, I definitely will credit them for that. Um, but it, I also like, I, um, even though I'm a more of a creative than analytical and um, like linear and intellectual, um, I'm very right and left brain oriented. And so I, actually really enjoy numbers. <laughs> so I really loved accounting class actually in high school, even though it wasn't my favorite. Um, so I understood, oh, and like my first job, like I, I didn't have like a hospitality job at, at any point. Like instead I was um, like administrative assistants. And so I was looking at P and L statements since I was a teenager and understood like look how to look at a balance sheet um, at a, at a younger age than I think most people. So I understood the con, like, I didn't know all the details of what a business outlined in a PL statement, but I understood the concepts behind it. Um, and so I think part of that <clears throat> in combination with, I have a lot of grit and a lot of determination and passion. Um, and so, and I'm willing to work very hard, um, to what others have told me harder than um, the average person. And I think dance really taught me that. Um, if I ever meet somebody that says they used to be a professional dancer, hire them. <laughs> like, I mean, they are like um, some of the hardest, that's one of the hardest working uh, careers physically and mentally, then um, like there's actually a lot of research on that. Um, I'm not just biased about it, uh, but that's one of the hardest careers um, to mentally and physically persevere in. Um, you have to be a self-starter, self-motivator. You have to learn to act, stay disciplined and be very detail-oriented. Um, so I think different attributes kind of taught me that um the, the combination of it rather yeah i think dan commented here you might be the only dancer in history that said you love pnls and uh numbers yeah <laughs> let's go over to uh brad hi jenna how are you hi good thank you i love the energy you bring and the the passion that you obviously have for what you do it's it's um it's actually really um, refreshing. It's, it's good. Um, I'm wondering how, so you launched in March of 2020 and the business I've been in, in the past six plus years that had a profound effect on, on how we did business. Um, how did that impact the way you grew your firm? And I'd be interested in hearing what your firm is today. Are they spread out across the country? Um, your, you know, your partners, uh, your executive coaches, or is it basically in LA? Yeah. Um, so we, so, um, one of the things that I prioritized when I started Epic was 
creating that school first um, with certifying coaches. And so all of the people in my firm had their own practice, still have their own practice um, and are have been building it, are building it. And we started our, um, there's two training programs that we offer in the school. And we started the first one uh, where we're certifying executive coaches on one-on-one and small group coaching. And that's a six month training program um, and the business development around those two things. Uh, That's a six month training program. And so um, that was designed to 80% of it, I should say, was designed to be virtual already. Naturally, when the pandemic hit, everything went virtual with our clients and uh, with the training program. And fortunately for us, um, that wasn't as much of an adjustment as other companies. Um, you know, that 20% gap, both also with our clients, that that work, um, 20% of our work with our clients was not virtual, where 80% of it was. So again, it wasn't as big of a transition. Um, but all of our interactive workshops and facilitated meetings in um, company clients' office spaces went virtual. So we were doing webinars, we were doing um, Zoom meetings like crazy. Uh, and you can imagine too, um, even though the pan, I would not wish the pandemic again on anyone, um, it actually was a really a lot of things were happening at a very quick pace because some clients all of a sudden hit a complete wall and they're like, we don't have any revenue coming in now. Um, and other industries were like, now we really need you <laughs> because the pandemic happened. So we had this really um, interesting influx of clients coming in and out while also changing up the training program kind of on our toes. Um, and to give you some context to answer this at another angle that you're asking or that I hear you asking, Brad, my company, um, my team rather, we weren't all in LA or California to begin with. And so uh, we've had people and have people on our team in the Midwest, um, in like the East Coast and in California. And we've worked with clients around the country, even in Canada and the UK, um, at one point we had some in Australia, but, uh, but we, we've been used to working virtually and we've been, um, we've had the upper hand in the sense of knowing how to keep the team culture alive virtually, um, which not everyone was used to. Right. And so I definitely understand the zoom burnout that people experienced, but I almost feel like we had already a little bit higher tolerance for it because we had Zoom so much in our in our world. <laughs> um, but at any rate, so um, now what the firm looks like, um, we have about, uh, we have a soon to be seventh team member. Um, and we are about half of us are local in Los Angeles, including myself. We have some people, like I said, in the Midwest, we have somebody out in the East Coast, um, and we have executive coaches on our team. We have two business, uh, uh, sorry, not business management, business consultants on our team, one who specializes in scaling, the other who specializes in merger and acquisition work. And then we have a change management consultant, and we have a keynote speech coach 
Um, one of which is actually on here today, Mimi Donaldson. She's um, very well known around the country. Um, and I'm grateful that she's here to join. Uh, and we are, and we have trainees. So people who are training to be executive coaches. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's go to Joel. Hey, Jenna, thanks for being on. I appreciate hearing your perspective. Yeah. I taught at the Air Force Weapons School for a couple of years, which is like the Air Force version of Top Gun, but the Navy copied it from us. So it, um, <laughs> anyway, so I, I taught a lot of classes. And every class that would come through, we would see pretty common challenges. So like day one or mission one, we see that the students are probably going to have this challenge. Mission two, they're probably going to see this challenge. Mission three, they're going to see this challenge. So do you see the same thing in your executive coaching uh, as you start out with clients uh, that you predictably see, oh, this person's going to not understand this or, or they need to understand this to move on? Or are people just totally different and they every person has a different challenge? Thanks, thanks for your uh, answer. Yeah, um, that's a great question. Um, so I think that there are a lot of factors um, that go into answering that. So I'll do my best to answer. Um, so there can always be exceptions. So it, it isn't a one size fits all. Um, and some of the factors um, that are also not the case with every uh, person is um, factors like what their you can look at what their personality assessment says, right? Like if they're, I'll just give an example. If we're looking at Myers-Briggs and they're an ENFJ, um, then they have a certain set of attributes that, that, that are very innate to them, that they tend to um, be linear in, in a say, or have certain patterns that are very common with that personality, right? And so um, as an executive coach, uh, we, and I, I work very hard to train my team and for the trainers in our program to train our executive coaches that are, or I guess are to be executive coaches in our training programs that we actually, the moment we start to try to codify that, we limit the clients that we have um, because we make assumptions uh, rather than um, assumptions about who they are, um, habits they have, uh, why they have those habits. And the moment we do that, we aren't, we turn off our ability to really see them and see how they're unique so we can help them specifically. Um, so though there can be some uh, patterns and some things that are common, um, we, we, it's, it's important for us to not uh, make that assumption and generalization with anyone, uh, because it can completely change the course of what could be valuable for them and change the trajectory of their success. <laughs> right. So, um, I hope that answers your question. I know that's still speaking from a point of context, but, um, overall, that's what I, that's what I see. And that also so applies to company clients because um, when working with organizations versus individuals and leaders, um, it's much more complex, right? So, and I'll just give you an example of that. Um, I often will see 
executive coaches um, talk to, you know, one or two or three or the leadership team of a company to understand what's going on in an organization. And then they'll start creating um, a strategy or put a proposal together on how to address those challenges. And though, you know, it's, it's very, the proposal or the advice or options that a, a coach can give an organization can be valid in a lot of ways. It's important that we don't scapegoat and, and take the bait, if you will, as to what the leaders are saying, not because they don't know, it's not because they are, you know, um, that they're incompetent. It's, it makes sense that they know what they know, but because they're leaders, there's a lot they don't see because they're leaders, right? And so it's important for us, in my humble opinion, to look at other areas of the company that they haven't been able to see because of the role that they have so that we can understand systematically what is why the organization is working the way that it's working, whether to the benefit or not of the organization and then address that. Um, so I hope that that gives some perspective in terms of organizations as well. Yeah, thanks, Jenna. Thanks for your question and thanks for being on. Yeah. I'm sorry, thanks for your answer. Yeah, yeah. Let's go to uh, Carolyn. Good morning, Jenna. Thank you for being on today. I, I have a two-part question. The first part is I loved how you talked about when you felt as if glass ceilings were being put in your place or, or in your way. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, was there a point where you thought, well, I can stay and fix it because I'm good enough and I'm smart enough. Did you try that or did you recognize it and then set about to leave? I'm, I'm wondering if that middle ground, if there was a questioning of how do I navigate this versus this is not for me, I'm out. And the second part of my question is, I'm curious about the use of social media in growing a coaching program or in growing a business. Do you tackle that within your arena of training? And also do you tackle that in relation to working with companies and attracting more clients? Yeah, great, uh, great question. So, uh, that is a two-part question. <laughs> so uh, the first part of that, in terms of glass dealings, um, I was very, um, I mean, this is obviously my perspective. Um, I'd be curious to know what the other like side of it would be now, like looking back. Um, but from what I recall, like I was very upfront and forward about, um, how can I say this? Like, uh, as executive coaches, like one of the things that we're taught is to practice what we're preaching. And that's, that is very important to me. Um, that like having integrity of doing what I say I'm going to do and practicing what I'm preaching is probably like my biggest value and, um, thing that I want to stand behind in my, for myself, <laughs> not just in my career, but like personally, what that means for me as a person and so, um, you know, when I was learning about a company that said, like, we want you to learn self-advocacy so that you can practice as a client, we, you know, they, I was told and, and really believe that um, if you're going to be a coach, then you should always have a coach 
um, to practice what you preach. And, and so I was willing to, um, be very upfront and transparent and honest about, uh, what I was experiencing, um, or, and what I, um, in my, in my own way, like I wasn't coming to the, to the CEO being like, this is what I'm experiencing. And like, why are you giving me a glass ceiling? Uh, but I, I would, um, I, like I was very clear in saying, I want these opportunities. How can I get them? And uh, whenever I would challenge, like I didn't mind challenging um, it in a hopefully delicate way, uh, but I, I, I got pushed back. Um, there was a number of, and, and it became very evident um, in the firm that I was getting alienated. Um, and other people in the firm were noticing that. Uh, and, and at one point, I mean, it was like, yeah, there was one point when enough was enough. Uh, and I, yeah, enough was enough. <laughs> like, and I was like, okay, like, this is clearly not um, a place that they, they, they don't, if I were to say, the best way that I could say it is, um, if they would have wanted me to stick around, they would have found a place for there to be some middle ground and for me to be able to help them and like give, like at least communicate or something. Like there was a missing piece. Like if they really wanted me to stick around, we would have figured out a way to make it happen. But I, I wasn't experiencing open-mindedness on how to integrate me into areas that I was asking for or, um, you know, especially after like doing what I was told, I was playing by their rules and wasn't <laughs> then getting what I was told I could get. Um, so at any rate, um, that, yeah, at one point I was like, okay, I'm tapping out. Like this is clearly um, not for me or this, this is no longer like suitable for either side. So um, in terms of your second question, Remind me what it was again. If there's a component of using social media to grow your business or a coaching business, or how do you use that both in training folks that are part that work for you, but then also recruiting additional clients to use your services? Yeah. So um, we do some training for social media. We don't do extensive training for social media. Um, and this is one of the reasons why um, is because there's a difference between business development and marketing in my in my eyes. Uh, Mark, like, and, and to be very simply put, uh, my father actually shared this with me. And I thought like, oh, that's the simplest way that I've heard someone explain the difference. And so, um, and I might be, I'm paraphrasing what he told me a while ago, but uh, you know, business development is where you're going and seeking and building relationships to see how you can find clients and qualify them and, and have them. Uh, marketing is where you're waving the white flag for them to come to you. And for social media, that is more marketing. And we emphasize more business development training in our program. Um, so though we have some um, we don't, uh, some training in social media slash marketing, uh, we don't have much be as much as one might want, uh, you know, but, but 
but that's, I guess, subjective. Uh, and part of that is because you can find a ton of executive coaches or that claim, and I say this respectfully, that claim to be executive coaches and they have a beautiful website. They have really impressive platforms, but they're not great at what they do, <laughs> like, you know? And so and, and there's a lot of them out there. And, and you know, I, I mean, I'm saying that, like I always have areas to grow in too, um, but that is not the number one thing that will dictate one's ability to work with clients and serve them really well and provide good work. Um, and so the ability to qualify a coach for, for yourself or an organization to qualify a firm isn't uh, primarily for social media. And I mean, we I don't use social media for getting clients. It's merely a way for people to stay in the loop and have touch points and updates on what we're doing. Um, but we don't use it in that way. That's just been a, a choice, uh, like up until now that we've, that we've chosen, um, and people will use it for that way and no problem. But that, that was just a personal choice where we are emphasizing more business development skills, uh, versus marketing. Thank you. I appreciate it. I've been furiously writing notes. I'm so glad you're here today. I've learned a lot. I'm inspired and I uh, have a lo whole lot to read for the rest of the day. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. You know, before we leave that glass ceiling conversation, there's a lot of people I know even on here that have run into different walls. It, you know, it, Drew and I've had this conversation about how many people will say, well, what's a, what's an army guy? know to run a business, which is a, a dumb misconception or people hit an age limit. In your case, it might've been a, a gender barrier, but leaving the security of something takes tremendous courage. Sometimes we just live in that box that everyone gave us. How did you find the courage to say, I'm not going to let other people's perceptions limit me? Because that's one thing I think we find so many people struggle with is they'll let everyone else build the box. Yeah. Um, I think, well, I mean, to be totally honest, um, my passion and being, uh, passionate about how passionate and determined I am to do what I love is such a strong non-negotiable for me since I was a kid <laughs> that, that is far greater than the, for me, than the uncomfortability of being brave and, and getting uncomfortable. That is far greater. Um, like I would rather fight is not the right word. It's the first word that comes to mind, but I would rather be uncomfortable fighting for what I love and creating a life that I love than experiencing that discomfort to get it. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I don't know if you guys have heard this quote, I don't remember who says the quote, um, but the only way out of pain is through pain. <laughs> and so there you go. <laughs> you know, It's like, geez, like uh, I, it got to a point where I was unhappy at that, at that company or 
even my dancing career, like I loved dance so much. I still do. I still miss it. Like occasionally I'll put on a story, uh, on social, on my social media, like Instagram, I'll put a story of like dance that I see because I'm just like, I love it so much. Right. But, um, but I was in so much physical pain and I didn't want to have even more pain, um, to a point where I was like, okay, it's time to like step out and be brave and be uncomfortable in this way so that I don't have more pain or unhappiness in this other way. Right. And so it's really about like, um, when is enough enough? Like everyone's, everyone's own internal compass, like when's enough enough, like, and, and what is being integrity to yourself actually mean? I mean, when it comes down to it, um, what, what is it that you really want? What is it that, what boundaries do you have on what that looks like? You know? And for me at, at that point, I was like, okay, I was really devastated to leave because one of my biggest motivators and things that I, I get motivated and inspired by is when I am not the best. (laughs) Like I love being around people that are far better than me and can learn from them and look up to them and strive to be them. And that, that was exactly what I was doing in the firm. Like that was one of the reasons why I was so fired and fueled and working so hard and so quickly that it was really um, disheartening to leave that because then I I had this moment of like, oh, I don't have a team. I'm alone. Uh, But I was being disrespected and I was being given, I wasn't allowed to spread my wings and like play and live full out. And that I was like, you know what? Like I can't, I can't do that. I can't not spread my wings and live life full out because if I was somebody that wasn't going to live life full out, I wouldn't have moved halfway across the country, not having a plan. Right. Like there were all these other indicators of like, that's not who I am. (laughs) And so, and so that's what I mean is like getting really clear as to who you are and what's integrity to you and when is enough enough. There's a lot we can all learn from that. That's awesome. Let's go over to Michelle. Hi, Jenna. Thanks so much for sharing your story. I can tell you're very good at what you do. And I can tell that you can probably dig in pretty deep with clients as far as maybe root cause on what's really going on. And I'm sure most clients come to you because they need the service or think they do. But do you ever have resistance where egos get in the way, you start getting too deep into the whys on what they need to do for improvement and you get resistance. And if so, how do you handle that? Or what does that look like? Um, I mean, I think every person, (laughs) their ego gets in the way. So, um, yes to every client I've worked with, because that's people being perfectly human, um, is we get in our own way and it's our ego. Like ultimately it's our ego that gets us in our own way. Um, how to help disarm that and, um, have more importantly, not have me get them to overcome it, but have them first see it and then have guide them to overcome it. Not me tell them how to overcome it. Right. And there, that's very nuanced. Mm-hmm. Um, 
on purpose. Uh, and, um, you know, I remember, so I, I'm remembering actually an interview uh, that I had a couple years ago um, within the first year of, of the company. And, um, and it's when I said, I don't even remember what the question was, but I said, there's such an art to emotional intelligence in this work. Um, so I, I don't have a finite linear answer for you, Michelle, um, but um, part of it is if you let yourself really listen and look at someone and continue to learn about someone, then you will figure out how to respond to them and not react, respond to them, like really be thoughtful on how to communicate and address and converse with them. And so, you know, some clients, <laughs> some clients, they need a good smack, right? Like what I mean by that is uh, I got to be fierce. I got to be like a straight shooter because that is what will crack and get them to see something and other clients oh my gosh they would shame out if i did that okay <laughs> like so uh they like you do not do that because they will go into like guilt and shame and a failure story and all of that stuff right so there's such an art to how to allow them to see what's going on and to allow them to see what's going on without you pointing at this is what's going on because what I see might not be accurate. So let them see it and tell you what's going on. Does that make sense? Um, so it, it's very nuanced. Thank you. Good point. I, yeah, I could see how that would work best versus having to just always tell them because you probably know but they don't really learn until they actually have said it themselves. Yeah. 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 And, and one of the biggest things with uh, coaching, you know, executive coaches, one of our biggest things that we work on with our clients is helping someone grow in their leadership. And one way that if I were to start telling them versus asking them, uh, that doesn't build their leadership that builds their followership to follow what I say. Mm -hmm. Um, and that creates a dynamic that doesn't actually help them grow in their leadership to even leading themselves forward. Um, and so if we can, we executive coaches can allow a leader and a leader, meaning any individual is a leader, they don't have to literally have a team. Um, if we can allow any leader to understand and build a healthy resourceful, resourceful autopilot of how to lead themselves forward in a powerful way, then that will be their autopilot on how they can lead others forward. And so that's where, that's our goal first, right? What the, what the content looks like and how that actually like transpires is, is, a, is, is fine. Um, but it's the context of them being able to do that first. Thank you. You know, we've probably all seen a lot of accidental coaches 
who their career ended. So then they're just like, well, I think I'll go be a leadership coach. I'll go be a coach entrepreneurs, small businesses. I'll open my own firm, but it may not be their purpose. You know? And, and so how often do you encounter that? And in the coaching process, help people figure out that this really probably isn't for you, because I, like I said, a lot of people have great websites, but they aren't necessarily great coaches, great teachers. How do you help people in your own screening process figure you're not, not the right client for me. This really isn't the right role for you. You're just doing it because, and it's not really what you're meant to go be. Um, yeah. How often do I experience that? Is that well, I guess, is it something you experience and what do you do about that? How do you help people through that process of, of getting real and getting honest and say, yeah, yeah probably I'm not ever going to be a great leadership coach. So, I mean, whether, whether they're looking to be a coach or whether they're, it's what they're currently doing right now or whatever, they're looking to um, even pursue a different career that they think interests them. Um, it's when they realize um, their values of what they, the values that they own and possess and have, or that they've learned uh, during the coaching, like working with a coach that they've learned that they have, don't reflect um, and give them what they need uh, in their, let me just say that differently. They're not addressing what they may newly realize they need out of their work right? Or they're not getting what, yeah, what they need out of their work based off of what they're learning about themselves. Um, so some people realize that and learn and, and then make decisions on, oh, this isn't for me uh, because I want this, these other things fulfilled in my work where, um, so some people like for executive coaching, for instance, when rubber hits the road, or meets the road. Is that the expression? When rubber meets the road. I'm bad at expressions. I always screw them up uh, and it's entertaining to my team. Uh, but whenever uh, people are going out and building their practice, maybe they love coaching people and they might even be uh, like really passionate about being able to have conversations with people and learn about them, but they are not willing to be self-starters and build a coaching practice, then the idea of them being an executive coach all of a sudden doesn't appeal to them in the same way in them being their own boss. And so it might, though they have the values and the interest in one regard, um, they may not be willing, like going back to what I said earlier, um, getting uncomfortable isn't as worth the amount of passion. The passion doesn't overweigh the discomfort right? Um, and so they, they're at a little bit of a decision point to make, okay, well, do you, do you get a, a job working at this company where it's similar enough to coaching, but you don't have to go out and do the things that make you uncomfortable? Is that like, you know, they have decisions to make. Um, and so it, I mean, it really is about that, like outweigh of discomfort and passion and how much do you really want some, something. Um, and, uh, the, the, this is where I get, uh, really excited about coaching is, um, people's perception of how hard it will be <laughs> to accomplish anything or to be 
uncomfortable and step out into being courageous and all that people perceive that hard being much harder than it may actually often actually is. Um, and so if we could even coach around that, (laughs) then all of a sudden you see somebody's trajectory of their success be a J curve. Um, that's actually why our logo is J curves is because once people realize they are far more capable than they thought, then they, their, um, association to discomfort changes and they're just, they're seeking it. Actually, they're not avoiding it. They're, um, it's like a innate, like, Oh, I'm not uncomfortable. Something's wrong. <laughs> right? Like it's it's different. And so then they're experimenting with new things. They're willing to fail forward. They're willing to do things that they've never done before because now they're being innovative and you can't be creative if you're afraid. You can't be, it's, it's like, uh, you can't be in love and fear at the same time. Right. But what's more powerful than fear, perfect love. So how can we keep training people to be curious and, uh, innovative and experimenting and, uh, in wonder of what they could accomplish. Well, I don't know if you mess up all your quotes, but uh, the only way out of pain through pain sounds like a Tony Hoffman marathon inspirational quote. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tony can deal out the pain. Uh, let's uh, close out with a couple of comments and question from Dan. Are you there, Dan? <laughs> yeah, thanks so much for your uh, energy and sharing, Jenna. Just in terms of recap, I know you touched on different points of this, but as we wrap up, can you just share your ideal client profile with us? Yeah, sure. So, um, individuals like that I work with one-on-one, um, those are high performing individuals who are business owners, entrepreneurs, C-suite executives, um, and the um, high performers is actually a very specific profile. Like they are, they like putting, uh, how can I say this? They are very determined. They are accomplishing things. They're at the top of their game and they love being at the top of their game. They're known for being at the top of their game, but they keep striving to accomplish more and they haven't yet. um, They're hungry and they have an itch to be like, I haven't yet tapped into my full potential. Um, that, That like, that is something that is like a sweet spot. Um, and there's actually a really, so I, um, not to geek out too much, there's a set of, um, like a profile that comes with that around, um, how they're wired that, or how they can be wired rather that, um, because of my background, (laughs) I can relate to and can work very well with, um, so, so that, um, an industry agnostic, uh, and then in terms of company clients, um, it's, again, industry agnostic, but we are sweet spots in the mid market. So companies that are having like over 150 employees, um, just for the nature of being able to capitalize on the unique team that we have, that we're not just executive coaches. Um, we really can complement um, our services well in a, a middle mid market size company. Great job, Jenna. It was awesome spending time with you. You, um, you just brought a ton of energy to it today and you could tell everybody, uh, really, uh, 
geeked out off of your energy. So it was great to uh, have you share that with, uh, with folks today. And I, uh, there's so many things unique about your journey that I think we all can learn from and be inspired by. I appreciate that so much. And it's humbling to be here. And if you guys are new to being on this, I strongly recommend, I've learned so much seeing the other speakers come in and it's just um, wonderful to be part of this community, Randy. So thank you so much for doing it. So it's uh, executive performance Institute for coaching.com. Folks can find out about you and your team and all you do. Yes. Reach you there. Yes. Thank you so much. Great. Well, thanks, Jenna. Have an awesome weekend and uh, see all of you again soon. Bye. Bye everybody. Jenna's story is inspiring and I hope you enjoyed hearing about how she translated the skills she developed in the world of dance into leadership skills that work both individually and in leading an organization. You can learn more about Jenna's work at Executive Performance Institute for Coaching.com. That's a long one, but you can type it in there, Executive Performance Institute for Coaching, and search for that and you'll find their site. Now let's get out there, get after it, be strong, be resilient, never give up. I'll see you again soon.